Parashim's Tazriya and Mitzvah revolve around the laws of Tumma that's associated with the living human body. And in that vein, Tazriya begins with the impurity of Yoledis, or a postpartum mother. Simply put, when a woman gives birth, she is ritually impure. And the Torah compares her to Anida. Now, although in a certain sense we might say that a postpartum mother resembles Anida, but why should the miraculous and overwhelmingly positive event of Leda, of birth, generate Tumma? Now, Rav Shamshim Rafal Hirsch provides an explanation in light of the spiritual mechanics of impurity, that it's generated by the void of life, and how in the case of a postpartum mother, the fact is that a life was extracted from her, thereby leaving a void of life that was once there. Now, while that might satisfy the how question, it doesn't fully answer the why question. Granted, Hashem created spiritual mechanics that follow certain rules, but the celebratory occasion of birth did not have to be accompanied by ritual impurity. And perhaps we can't fully know why it does, but it is fair to wonder, what kind of message is the Torah trying to send us by associating impurity with the birth of a baby? Now, Tazaria and Mitzorah are really most well-known for the topic that overlaps the two of them, namely the topic of tsaras, or spiritual leprosy that can appear on one's body or his assets. This impurity we can understand, as Chazal teaches that saras is the result of antisocial traits and behaviors such as arrogance and lashon hara or slander. But a simple question is why in fact the topic of saras is divided between these two parshios, Tazriya and Metzora. Would it not have made more sense to have one sidra that contains all the laws of saras? And perhaps the start to an answer to this second question can be found where the second sidra, Parshas Metzora, begins. As it does seem to introduce a new topic, This will be the teaching of the spiritual leper on the day of his purification. Apparently, Mitzvah begins with the purification procedure for the individual who was afflicted with saras. But the question is, why the Torah oddly introduces this topic in the future tense? So this will be the teaching of the spiritual leper on the day of his purification. That kind of introduction is a little bit unusual. So returning to the topic of Yoladis, postpartum mother, although it's unclear why the occasion of the birth of a beautiful baby should be met and hindered by ritual impurity, perhaps a simple message is that, indeed, although there is no greater blessing than parenthood, the job of living for another comes with spiritual sacrifice and sometimes filth. To live for another sometimes means getting dirty. And it's not just the burden of diapering. There are many spiritual sacrifices that come with being a parent, just because the other, in this case the baby, needs you. Davening is compromised, Torah learning is compromised, and all of the chesed that you might want to do for others, that begins at home starting with one's children. In a similar vein, the Kohen who administers the rite of Paraduma to purify another ultimately contaminates his, himself. It's spiritually taxing, but to be able to live for another is the greatest bracha. The trick, I guess, is to strike the appropriate balance and to figure out how to possibly incorporate spiritual growth into the seemingly grounding experience of living for the sake of others. But that perhaps is among the many challenges that comes with the Tumma of childbirth. But if all of the above is true, Tumas Yoledes finds a profound foil in Tumas Tsaras. 
As was mentioned, tsaras is the result of antisocial traits and behaviors. The treatment for tsaras is seclusion and isolation, being away from society. This is because, indeed, he did not live for others, but rather, his spiritual impurity was the result of a miserable life lived purely for himself. When we consider this contrast, maybe we can understand why Tsaras is divided into two sidros. Although childbearing comes with impurity, the process is self-contained, and the reward of living for another can usually be appreciated immediately, and the eventual purification is foreseeable. But when one becomes filthy with spiritual impurity due to zero sacrifices that he made for others, and due to the fact that he lives only for himself, the bitter experience of self-inflicted isolation drags with no foreseeable end. There is a long waiting period wherein one can only meditate, be humbled, and think about what it means to live with others and for others. And the separation between Parshas Tazri and Mitzvah tells us that indeed there is a, sus- a suspenseful waiting period. When will that day come when I can finally get another chance to live with others and for others? And this break might perhaps explain the Torah's usage of the future tense. Because although the Mitzvah finds himself quarantined in Tazriya, the Torah tells us that Zos that eventually, if he is ready to submit himself, one day, indeed that day will come, when he could live not just for himself, by himself, but with others and for others. Impurity seems to be an inescapable reality of life. Yuledas teaches us that it exists even in the best case scenario. If you live for others, it's going to happen. And the skeptic will argue, argue, argue that no good deed goes unpunished. But only the Mitsura-hearted individual can't recognize the difference between the bitter impurity of living for oneself versus the most fulfilling impurity of living for others. But after experiencing the isolation of the Mitsura, even he will figure it out. And we might not be able to entirely avoid impurity, but we have the incredible schus of being able to pick our impurities. Let's choose wisely. We will be zocha to live life for others, enjoy all of the bracha that comes with it, and we should be able to sense Hashem living with us and for us, as well as He invites us back into His camp and shares the Shechina with us at the times of the Gaula B'meher B'meher.